You're listening to the Complete Performance Systems Podcast, where we cover how to get really strong, increase sports performance, training, nutrition, rehab, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome to the Complete Performance Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Hackmackey, and I have here with me on episode 24, Scott Meyer. In this episode, Scott talks about his background in physical education and strength and conditioning. Scott covers how he balances high school athletes' training load with school and sports, what his training philosophies are, what he looks at it, at developing a macro cycle in a high school environment, his thoughts on early specialization, communication, and managing expectations with athletes, parents, and coaches, and his thoughts on maxing out. The Complete Performance Systems Podcast is sponsored by Boomerang Energy. Get your real good energy back with Boomerang, the natural energy drink. All right, Scott, do you want to give the listeners and viewers a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, I'm Scott Meyer. I'm the head strength and conditioning coach at Farmington High School in Minnesota. This will be my 22nd year here. Hopefully we get started. Um, But I'm also a physical education teacher. So I started out in Farmington teaching middle school PE and ran weight training classes there and, and fitness classes. And then when our new high school opened like 12 years ago, I moved up to the high school and have been here ever since. Prior to that, I coached at Lakeville High School for a couple of years. I was a personal trainer for five years. Um, got my uh, Did my internship with the University of Minnesota and Chris Hartman there. And that's kind of how I got my start into strength and conditioning. And, you know, after working personal training for a few years, realized I really liked working with athletes and felt I could make a bit better impact working with kids uh, versus adults. So kind of went back and got my teaching license and I've uh, been at Farmington ever since. Are you still actively running gym classes? Right in the summer? No, we're just doing uh, athletic training right now in our summer with our summer program. Um, but yeah, when I'm, when teaching with school starts, I've got uh, weight training classes. Uh, we're starting a new female only class this year, which is going to be awesome. Um, and then we also have a ninth grade fitness, uh, fitness for life class, we call it, which is a kind of a combination uh, lifting and cardio and, and a whole range of things, but we get them started in the weight room. So we've got three different courses basically that, that are lifting classes. So, um, we've got one or two lifting classes every day, all day long, um, every trimester. So we got, we got really good buy-in from our PE class, uh, enrollment. That's awesome. So as a PE class, do you kind of switch it out through just normal gym games throughout the year? Or is it mostly heavily um, weight room focused? Um, it's all weight room focused for kids that take those classes. We have separate uh, like team sports classes and we have a regular PE nine and a PE 10, you know, and some rec activities, stuff like that. But if kids sign up for weight training, it's all weight training. It's on occasion, maybe once or twice a trimester, we might have a game day, but it's more, you know, like agility based, we might, might do dodgeball or Jedi tag or something like that, but it, so it carries over to the athletic training part. It's not necessarily just, just a game. So it's, yeah, it's all strictly focused with the weight room. That's, that's the primary goal. These weight uh, room classes, are they the same programs that you're running um, with your sports athletes? Just at different yeah, they are, they are actually. And what works out what really well for us, we're on trimesters and those trimesters match up pretty evenly or pretty closely with the sports season. 
So when we start a new sports season, that's when our classes start. So we're all kind of at the same level. And then we're peaking at the end of the trimester, which then is also peaking at the end of, uh, you know, the sports season when we're getting into playoffs. And, you know, then when we start a new season, new trimester, kids either shift over to their new in-season program or shift over with the, uh, with the off-season program or the classes. But what we do in class is basically our, our off-season program. It's the same workout. We've got some coaches that really push their kids to take our class, which is awesome. Football has uh, basically that like 85 or 90% of their guys take class last year. And then wrestling and boys basketball also really push their kids, especially in season to take the class. So they don't have to take practice time then to come in and lift, you know, they're getting their workout done during the day. So then as soon as practice is done, kids can head out and get done early. Um, so it works out great for them. The kids pushed or the coaches pushed their kids to take the class. And then that, that also helps our PE numbers too. We're getting a lot of kids registered for the class and they get more workout time. Uh, that way too, we get about a 45 to 50 minute workout versus, um, you know, if they come in in the off season as a team, it's more a half hour workout. So we're getting a lot more work done during the day and it, it's, it's really a win-win for everybody. That's awesome. How do you balance the kids being in school, um, still playing sports and just the training load throughout the season with your programs? You know, in season, we really, you know, if they're if they're in a class, they're really doing the off season program. We we don't scale it back too much until we get to the very end. And when we scale it back for those kids, we're scaling back the volume, but the intensity really staying high and, and they're peaking just like uh, our off season kids are. You know, we've done this enough now and the coaches understand that we will, you know, we'll adjust the workouts on occasion if we need to. But, you know, they get it and they understand the importance of peaking when you need to peak. And some games we can really play through if we need to and have to. Kids, kids adjust to the training. They adapt very quickly. And, you know, they're, they're used to the training load now. So we don't really have any of those complaints much anymore about, oh, I've got a game tomorrow or whatever. And so I can't lift. You know, they understand you need to train through games and train through the season in order for it to really pay off when when you want it to. So that's that's been awesome. Um, but like I said, for the in-season kids, we'll scale the volume back slightly. Um, football on Fridays, we'll scale the volume back maybe a little bit more. But we're, we really get after it all year long, in-season and off-season. You mentioned lifting with the game the next day. Um, programming for any sports can be tough just with the frequent games throughout the season. Do you want to kind of talk about the macro cycle or the big picture of your programming uh, before season start when you sit down and start to make these programs and considerations you take into account? Yeah, depending on the season, winter, you know, for us is a little bit longer compared to to fall season and spring season. Winter is maybe, you know, another four weeks long. So we kind of stretch things out. But in general, um, and looking at our trimesters too, we've got about a 12-week training cycle. So we kind of do like a block zero type thing for a week or two, depending on the team and the experience level. My younger kids will do, you know, more basic block zero stuff for maybe three weeks. But I'm a, um, I'm a big believer in the triphasic stuff. And I know you had Cal Dietz on here, you know, earlier talking about that. That's, that's been a huge game changer for us, the triphasic. So after the block zero, and we kind of reemphasize those basic technique things. And even with our advanced kids, we'll do, We'll really strip things down and go light and really ease into it and work on range of motion. We'll get on the squat wedges and work on full depth again, break down the Olympic lifts more. And then we start with our eccentric block and we'll go three weeks of eccentric. 
and that's kind of a progression over the three weeks. Uh, we follow that up with two weeks of isometric work and then basically peaking the rest of the time after that. So it ends up being two or three weeks of peaking and then we'll, we'll test out max the final week. I follow, I really follow Cal's kind of undulating uh, periodization model where we'll go, Mondays will be our medium day, uh, medium volume, medium intensity. And then Wednesday or the middle, Tuesday or Thursday, you know, whether we have a three or a four day program, Wednesday will be the high intensity, the really heavy day, low volume. And then we finish up the week with a Friday will be a lighter weight, high volume work. And, you know, when he kind of said that in his book, you know, kind of shifting over, it, it totally hit home with me because I always was the thought of, you know, coming back after a long weekend and starting on a Monday, that's when you really get after it because you're rested. And it never, it never worked out. And even with my own workouts, you know, both lifting and doing speed work and stuff, I'm like, God, I just cannot, I just don't feel great after having two days off, you know, compared to the middle of the week. So, you know, we use Monday as a kind of a get, get back to it type day and then really get after it those middle days. And then when you're tired at the end of the week, that's when we do the high volume and, and bring the weight down where it doesn't really affect. And then we got, you know, two days off. So that, that really works well for us. And then combining that with the triphasic, uh, you know, the eccentric work and the isometric work, it, it's worked really well. Um, and then basically then we just start over when the next season starts or the next trimester starts, we just cycle through the whole thing again, just start over the box zero and review and then, and then, and then go from there. So it's, it's a, re, a repeat, very similar repeats, um, you know, each of the, each of the three seasons and then summer is just slightly, slightly different. Working with high school athletes, do you get into any of the super maximal training with the eccentric and isometric phases at all? Maybe one day, you know, that last week, but we haven't really gone with the super maximal stuff uh, just because the the spotting, I think, is difficult for high school kids. You really got to pay attention. Um, but we do, we would go heavy um, and we'll go up to like 85% for, for one or two. So it's loaded up pretty good but never to the point where it's just strictly the eccentric and then you need to lift it up. It's, it's manageable, you know, to get that concentric part into, um, and the isometric, same thing, you know, in those times, you know, it's a two or three second down counter pause, but yeah, I haven't really gone to the super maximal stuff yet. So you're sticking to like the percentage and then say the specific tempo time of it. And then you're letting your athletes basically concentrically can finish it. Yep. Yep. So I, I really follow those guidelines that Cal has in the book. I really follow mm -hmm. those pretty closely. You know, with the, with the timing, I actually program in longer time. You know, I don't tell my kids this, but if it's supposed to be like a six second down count, you know, with a lighter weight, I'll program in eight seconds, knowing that they're going to count fast. And when I say eight seconds is really going to end up probably being six seconds. <laughs> Um, or on the same thing, if I want, you know, three se or two second down count on those really heavy days, I'll put in three. Um, and then it will end up being the time. And if they actually do the full amount, then it's, you know, even bonus for them. So that, that's kind of how I program it, but I do follow really closely to what, what Cal suggested and, and, uh, it seems to work really well. It does. And I like how you mentioned the, um, completing the eccentrics as uh, concentric after I've done both ways, the sub maximal and the super maximal. And I felt I increased a lot more actually completing the rep after the eccentric 
for a powerlifting focus um, versus just failing on all sets. Right, right. And for me, the big thing too with the triphasic, I think, is you know that transition, you know, from con- from from eccentric into concentric, you know, and and getting that change of direction at the bottom. That's where you know you really see it carry over to your sport on the field and on on the court and stuff like that. You know, and I'm always emphasizing with our kids. I, I think the key to the triphasic too is really hammering that fast concentric contraction as fast as you can go. We don't measure bar velocity. Um, I just don't have the capability of doing that, but it's the, it's the intent to move the bar as fast as possible, I think is key. Um, and then with that eccentric too, it's you know down as fast as you can under control and then stop as fast as you can and slam on the brakes and hold it. So it's that quick deceleration and working on that decelerated strength, I think really carries over for athletes. That's, that's a big plus um, that I've found. Watch quite a few of your Instagram videos. Um, when you have your athletes squatting, are you having them do a primarily back squats or single leg squats? I'll, I'll admit it's pretty much uh, bilateral stuff is what we really focus on. Um, you know, and I have the intent to add more unilateral, but it, it, it's, I just haven't got, gotten there yet. Um, we squats huge for us and we squat all four days. If we're on a four day program, we squat every day, all four days. And so I mix it up. We always kind of rotate between, um, a back squat, a front squat, and then what Cal calls that sport back squat with a narrow stance, you know, Alan, Alan Bishop calls it kind of a cyclist squat. So we'll rotate those through. So depending on the workout, depending on the day that heavy day might be a heavy back squat day. It could be a heavy front squat day the next week. Um, but I try and mix it up between those three. The unilateral stuff we're doing right now is almost like a secondary squat lift. You know, we'll do lunges and stuff. I do have some safety squat bars. We just haven't used them as much as I would have liked. You know, and when you've got your program set and, and you're limited in time, anytime you add something in, you're, you've got to take something out. You know, and I'm not to the point quite yet where I'm ready to start taking out some things. But, you know... The more I read, the more I hear from people on that unilateral squat. We, I really think we need to get that done a little bit more. There's certainly at, uh, huge advantages to it. So I'm just kind of in the philosophy right now where if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. And things are really working well right now. It's just a matter of you know tweaking things. So I want to do more unilateral. It's just you know, I haven't been successful in getting it in quite yet. You mentioned that you still implement Olympic lifting. How do you put that in uh, conjunction with eccentric or with triphasic? You know, that was kind of one of my first things, and it's actually not that bad. We'll do more slow eccentrics, like to a hang position or to a mid shin, you know, when we're lowering, or like on the clean. It's a little bit easier with the isometric because you can get some different pauses in at different spots in the lift. But like for a hang clean on the isometric, we'll lower quickly to the knee and then just pause for uh, two, three seconds at the knee before starting the lift, starting from a dead spot. Or on the catch, you know, on the clean or even even on snatch, catching in that overhead position or that front squat position, catching it low and then pausing at the bottom of that front squat or that bottom uh, uh, receiving position for a few seconds and up. Um, so it's 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 you know that's how we do it. And, you know, if it's a slow eccentric, I'll usually do maybe three or four seconds down count because, you know, from the hip to the knee is a very small range of motion. So it doesn't take as much time. So uh, we do incorporate it a little bit with those, but it's, you know, it's 
I don't know if it's a huge advantage or not, but we try and fit it in on as many lifts as we can each day. You mentioned that you don't specialize your program for the athlete um, or male, female, but do you notice any differences between team, certain team athletes or differences between sexes that really stand out to you? Yeah. With, with, in, in general, I kind of find females are easier to coach because they listen better and they follow directions better and they're, they seem to be on task. But just kind of looking at some research, you know, it shows that female athletes recover quicker than males do in between sets. So we can really kind of bump the tempo up. If I've got just females only uh, lifting, we can kind of go at a little bit quicker tempo um, and they can handle, you know, a few higher reps than uh, than guys can at higher intensities. So, you know, if I've got a mixed group of of boys and girls, I know the boys are taking more rest and the girls are sitting there. They're let's let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm ready. So, you know, that's that's one main difference. It it you know kind of varies from team to team too with experience. You know, like my swimmers will come in and lift, but they don't. They lift in season, but they don't do a whole lot of lifting in the off season. They're they're in the pool more. So they're far less experienced and there's not as many multi-sport athletes with swimmers. So I find in season, we're progressing a lot slower. We're in that block zero for three to even four weeks working on basics before we can even start implementing some triphasic. And even with those, it's, it's more limited. So, you know, it really varies from team to team and, and, who we've got and how often they lift and what their overall experience is. So, and that's something I kind of gauge, you know, on that first week of what we're working with and, and how they do. So it, it does vary a little bit, especially in season, but for the most part, it, you know, like I said, it's very similar with, with what we're doing with everybody, if possible. Being in a high school environment, kids can screw around. How do you keep it competitive in the weight room? We use Train Heroic, which is really great for the competition part. Um, so I program all my workouts in there. And then um, with Train Heroic, you can really make anything. You can make a leaderboard out of anything. So you can make a competition out of anything. So I used to do try and do it once a week. Now it's a little bit, we spread it out a little bit more. But I could add in, we'll do like, you know, max push-ups for, you know, two minutes, you know, like military style or something, or we could do a percentage. It ends up being a little bit more high rep, but we could do like a percentage of body weight, take 50% of your body weight and then max reps on the bench press or do a body weight back squat, um, max reps as many as you can. So then when they put their score in, it'll rank them top to bottom. We put it up on the monitors so everybody can see and the kids are always looking up, you know, where, where I rank and how did I do compared to everybody else. So that's an easy way to add in competition. Um, so we will do some challenges like that. You know, like a bar, we'll do a bar hang or flexed arm hang, which is kind of fun to do at the end where kids are all just basically just reach up, grab the bar, hang on as long as you can. So in, in the jungle, we've got all kinds of pull-up bars to use. And in our weight room, I think we've got 18 different pull-up bars on our racks. So we can get 18 kids all going at once and, um, you know, I'll start them. And then last person standing wins. So kids really get into it. You know, they're cheering each other on. And, uh, you know, especially for those last two or three, they're, you know, and they're looking for a time. I got the timer going. And if they're getting close to a minute or two minutes, whatever, they're cheering them on to try and get to that mark. So that's a good way to do it. Then with our speed workouts and stuff like that, that's always competitive. You know, when we're outside doing sprints and if we get our timer out, we've got a free lap timer uh, and doing 10 yard flies or 20 yard flies or anything with a time. Uh, it gets really competitive and they're, 
they're competitive with themselves as well as trying to, to, you know, beat each other if possible. So, you know, there's lots of different ways you can do it, but anytime you make a race out of anything or a challenge, all of a sudden the competition, you know, really goes up and, and you get that good intensity to, especially to finish the workout, which I like. You mentioned speed workouts. What does your workouts outside the tra- um, weight room look like? Well, with our JAX program, uh, JAX stands for jumping agility, quickness, speed. That's just something I came up with a while ago, but we do a lot of speed. Speed training is, is really huge. And especially now we weren't able to get into the weight room this summer until this past week. So the first three weeks of our summer program was all speed and agility. So like this summer, I, ideally it's, two two to three days of speed work and um you know even with one day of resistance speed in there possible we're really shifting over we're, we have to do more true change of direction work and and not much reactive agility just because of social distancing but as those things kind of loosen up we're doing more reactive agility drills um and then like this summer too we're spending a lot of time <laughs> a lot of time on uh jumping and bounding, which is something we kind of been lacking in, but now we have more time to to spend on that. So that's been really good too. So with our summer program, we try to do uh, our speed stuff first for a half hour. If, you know, if we were running a normal program, it'd be a half hour speed and agility. And then we come into the lift uh, and spend an hour in the weight room. This summer, it's a little bit different. It's like an every other day type thing. Um, And then with our off season program for throughout the year, depending on the time of the year, the season, and and really with if I've got coaches to help out, we'll do a jacks workout um, two to three times a week before kids come in to lift for their off season program. The Complete Performance Systems podcast is sponsored by Boomerang Energy. Get your real good energy back with Boomerang, the natural energy drink. Do you have any issues uh, with high school athletes with early specialization? and um, finding they only play one sport or just um, with that? Yeah, we were having more and more. You know, when I first started here, we had a lot of three-sport athletes, and now there aren't – we still have some. There aren't a ton, but there are some. But I I think really the majority of our athletes are probably two-sport athletes still. There are some specialists. There are some, you know, that – well, there's really two different types of specialists, I think. There's one one that – really just truly loves the one sport and they want to do it all the time, uh, which is completely fine. You know, and if they're doing the off season program and they're getting strong and fast, you know, I, I've got no problem with that. And that's perfectly fine. But in general, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of multi-sport athletes. I think there's a lot that carries over from doing multiple athletes and or doing multiple sports and working with different coaches and different philosophies. So it's the, those specialists that are being kind of forced or pushed to one sport because of private coaches and, and traveling teams and AAU stuff like that. Uh, you know, that's completely selfish from those coaches point of view. I think, you know, there's a lot to benefit from, like I said, from doing multi-sports and from, from a mental side too. I think one thing that really gets overlooked, I, I played three sports in high school but I think there's a huge advantage to doing both as an individual sport along with the team sport, you know, and, and doing track or something like that in the spring where it's all on you. You, you know, you can't hide behind your teammates on the court. You can't hide it in the field. You, it's, it's up to you to perform. And, you know, if you're in a race, you got that one shot and you got to do it, you know, and you got no one to blame, but yourself. 
So, and it's just that mental focus and same thing with field events or, you know, tennis or wrestling, you know, you got to perform. And mentally, I think that really carries over to team sports, knowing that you've got that, that capacity to handle pressure and you're not going to crumble and you're not going to feel like you need to rely on someone else. You you're up to the task and those things really prepare team, team athletes, I think. So, you know, tons of, tons of physiological uh, advantages too, but, um, Fortunately here, like I said, a lot of our kids really are, are two sport athletes, which is awesome. And that really benefits all of our teams when we get that carryover from one, one sport to the next. Do you ever have communication issues with parents or um, have issues creating buy-in with parents? You know, when I first started, we did. And luckily now, I think, and that, you know, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I share a lot on social media is to share what we do and explain, you know, especially on Twitter, I'll retweet a lot of things or, or pull up things that, that, you know, college programs are doing, especially if it's, it happens to be the same thing that we're doing at the same time, but um, just reemphasizing that other schools are doing and other programs are doing the same types of things we are. Um, and, you know, kind of showing what we do has been beneficial for parents to give them a little insight and they're like, well, you know, maybe they actually know what they are doing. So, um, there, I used to get some pushback early, but now I think parents really get it. Our coaches for sure get it and help relay that information on, uh, to parents. And there, there aren't many battles to, to fight now, which is good. And I, I do get some questions, which is, which is great. And then I can explain what we do and, and it's, you know, they get, they get it. So it, it's awesome. It's nice not to have those, those battles, uh, to, to fight and deal with. You mentioned communication between coaches. How does that work? Um, do you have to explain, you know, we're in this block, maybe don't push them as hard as in practice or how, how does that look for you in the high school setting? You know, I really don't have to worry about it that much in season. You know, when, when if kids or teams are coming in as a team after practice, you know, it's pretty limited. It's usually, you know, two days a week, maybe three, depending on the week. And it, like I said, it's only a half hour lifting. So the volume's not that much. Um, but if kids are lifting um, with class where we got more workout time in four days a week, uh, for the most part, you know, kids recover really quick. And especially if they're lifting in the morning. But I will have coaches send me, like, especially track coaches, uh, looking at, they'll send me the big important meets and we'll adjust the workouts depending on the week a little bit for them and take into account. And then, you know, I'll talk to coaches too if they got a really important in season game or mid season against a conference opponents or section opponent. We will adjust the workouts for them too to make sure they're, they're ready and rested for those important games. So usually I have kid, I have coaches send me their schedule, their game schedule, and then send me their, the days they want to lift. And then just, you know, I just kind of combine it and blend it all together and we'll make adjustments as we go, if we need to. How do you create buy-in within the school um, as the organization itself, you know, getting like a free lap timer or train heroic and convincing them that you need this type of software? Well, mo actually most of that comes out of my budget. I pay for that myself, which we're fortunate. We can generate some funds through our summer program. And um, I luck luckily, I don't really need to go to the school for much other than big, huge purchases, you know, if, you know, like building improvement type things. So I'm very fortunate there that we're, we're kind of a self-funded program, but I just, I just got great support from our administration really always have, you know, we've got 
coaches, uh, former coaches who are now administrators, our new superintendent, who is awesome. He was a former coach for us. And, you know, right from the beginning, since I started, there was a, a big push for fitness and PE classes. And, you know, I really can't say enough for our administration, anything that we wanted to do and have asked for, they've been all for it and support us a hundred percent. So it's, it's, you know, I can't imagine trying to run a program, you know, and we certainly wouldn't be where we're at now without having that support from top and, and, you know, it, it's an awesome situation to be in. That's awesome. A question on maxing out here. So with high school athletes, how do you implement maxing out or do you max out at all? Yeah, we basically max four times a year. And, um, I actually, we actually do an estimated max. So we don't do a true one rep max and I don't, don't do a specific three rep max. You know, in fact, I'm coming out with an article on this here in the next couple of weeks, we do like anything up to one to six. So we go off a percentage, you know, if you get two reps, that's, uh, what is it? 95% of your max three reps is 92 and a half down to six. And basically as long as kids go to failure, by six reps or less, then we know we've got a true max effort. And then we figure out the formula and do an estimated max off of that. So at the beginning of every trimester, for sure with classes, we'll get a, we'll get a max a kind of a baseline. And with our beginners, true beginners, we'll get a couple of weeks in of that block zero and then test at the end of them to get a baseline number. Then we'll train, we'll go through the full training cycle. And then the final week is our, is our testing week. And that's a, you know, it's a fun week. The kids love it. They really look forward to it. But when I picked up the multi or this estimated multi rep or estimated max, it really came from my internship at the U. That's kind of what they were doing. And some kids, you know, it just gives kids a little more freedom and a little more ownership into that testing process too. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll always tell them, try to, try to pick a weight that you think you can do maybe three or four times. And then if you get a couple more reps in, you know, because you're pumped up and excited, it's still going to count. But I do have some kids that really want to do a one rep max and that's what they go for. But, you know, the problem I see, if you aim for a one rep max, I, th I think beginners, especially beginners, is you're in a dangerous situation. They're not prepared for that weight. They're not prepared to handle that intensity. Um, but if you say you do a specific three rep max, you know, experience level, last thing too, the adrenaline's going, kids end up doing more than they can because they're so excited and pumped up. And, you know, as a result of the training, everything kind of comes together too at that point. So they're always surprised. But if you do a three rep max, say a kid gets a, say a 225 three times, and it's a piece of cake, then, you know, they want to do more. So then they bump it up to say 245 or 255. And then now they only get one rep they get buried on the second one. So then they take weight off and do one in the middle and now they're tired from the others. It's just too much complication and it takes too much repeating to, I think, to get an accurate number. So this way it, you know, it quit one quick and easy uh, for most kids. I'll let them redo it at the end if they want to a second time, if they think they can do better. Um, but just for time-wise and the volume of kids that we're doing and, and getting through our testing, you know, it takes a long time. It really does take a full week to get a class, almost even longer to get everybody done. But And it works out really well. I've had kids over the years try multiple times. They'll do a one or a two rep, or then they'll try one in the middle, and then they'll do maybe a six rep. And it really, as long as they're going to failure, it comes out to within, you know, one to three pounds every time. So 
um, you know, after trying that, I'm, I'm a big believer. It's for what we need. And then we'll take those maxes, plug them into Train Heroic, update their maxes. And then now we've got a percentage, uh, a new max base or percentage uh, of their training weights off of. I like that you let them self-select their own weight um, just because there's such a big difference in someone, one person's uh, 90% versus another person's 90% and how many reps they can hit with it. Um, how does uh, testing for your speed workouts look like? For speed, yeah, we'll test it. For, we'll do a time 40-yard dash. During our training, we'll do those flying 10s, but our official testing, it's a, it's a regular 40. And same thing. It's the same week as we do our, our lifts. And then we also do vertical jump testing. For our football, we do an L drill, our three-cone drill, two for, for change of direction. But in classes, we don't necessarily have much time or as much time to work on that change of direction. So it'll be just basically three maxes. We'll do a, a max on a clean, a max on a bench press. And then I let them pick between a front squat and a back squat. At the beginning, at the for kind of our pre-test maxes, we do both. But then I let them pick which one they want to test on at the end. Um, so three max lifts and then a 40 yard dash and a vertical jump. And that pretty much completes all of our, all of our tests. Got one last question for you. If you were to say something has been the biggest game changer, um, throughout coaching and strength and conditioning at uh, high school athletes, what would you say that has been? Um, well, for us, triphasic hands down, that has just been incredible. And when we first started doing that, I, I thought it was going to be only for my advanced kids. And that's kind of who I started it with. And then after I saw how it was working, I'm like, well, this would be awesome for beginners because it slows them down. Usually kids, when they first start lifting, they're in such a hurry to get their stuff done, you know, forcing them to slow down on those eccentrics, like on squats. If you're going down for six or eight seconds, it really gives you a lot of time to think about how you're moving, think about what you're feeling, giving that full depth. So for beginners, it's awesome. So ever since, you know, that first couple of weeks when we started implementing it, I did it with everybody across the board. So for us, that's been huge. Um, and then now getting a free lap uh, system last spring or last, last winter, unfortunately, we only were able to use it for maybe a month or two before things got shut down. But that, that was a huge eye opener for me. And when I heard from other coaches, as soon as you throw a time on a kid, it's it's on you got maximal effort so we we really follow the feed the fat, feed the cats philosophy with doing three time sprints and it, it's phenomenal so the first one they're all out they're going as hard as they can they get a good time second time they go all out again and they either get better which they're happy about so on the third one now they got better they're even going even harder more effort or if on the second one, they got slower than the first one, now they're mad and they're getting that max effort on the third one. So no matter what, you're going to get the absolute best effort you can on the third and then shut down. But seeing the kids look there, you know, I pull up the times on the monitor for them and they are just psyched every time they want to know what they got. And then they're looking at what their friends got. And that for our speed, I think it, I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in that. So really between the triphasic and, and timing our sprints, those are, are huge. You want to give yourself a shout out and tell the listeners and viewers where they can find you? Yeah, we're on, on uh, all social media, basically Farmington Power. So Twitter is my main kind of uh, my main platform, post most stuff there. 
Um, but then lots of videos and, and photos and stuff on Instagram and then Facebook too, which really ends up being <laughs> kind of for the parents. Started a TikTok last year, which I still have no idea what it is, but I'm putting some videos on there. Um, so mainly those. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time to be on today, Scott. Yeah, happy to be on. This is awesome. I always love to share what we do and, and learn from other people. So, you know, great job with your podcast. And you've had some outstanding guests on, some big timers. So it's, you know, I'm learning a lot from, from people you're having on too. It's been awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. 